All right. Yeah, good morning, Veritas. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts, things related to the Spirit, as Paul says. So if you have a Bible, um, open to 1 Corinthians 12. If you don't, they'll be on the screen as we work through this passage. He begins, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. So I don't know if they've asked him this question or there's issues in the church, but he's about to tackle this topic over the next few chapters. So as I said, over the next five weeks, we're going to be unpacking this. Um, In verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Here's the way Paul begins the discussion on spiritual gifts. If you could get four words to summarize the whole Christian faith, what, would, what four words would you choose? Well, in the early church, they used these, this statement to kind of summarize everything. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that statement of absolute allegiance begins the discussion on spiritual gifts. And here's what Paul's saying. Before you knew Jesus Christ as Lord, you went to these temples of idols and worshiped. And in those idols, you experienced euphoria and passion and excitement for your idol. In some ways, even with the, the sexual aspect of it, your physical pleasures were, were fulfilled. And what marked that worship was basically you doing whatever your desires led you to do. But he says now, there's a different purpose when you come to church. Because now, it's all about Jesus. And so he begins with the ground rules. Okay, so we've got three points. They all begin with G, and you'll see by the third point my commitment to this alliteration. Okay, so the first one is he lays down the ground rules of spiritual gifts. The ground rules. Here are the ground rules. The validity of a ministry is not measured by success, but truthfulness. Here's what I mean by that. Veritas. By all external standards, if someone were just from the outside looking at Veritas, they would say, wow, Veritas is a very successful church. They would see an auditorium filled with people. They would see hundreds of people watching online. They would see financial prosperity and we're meeting our budget. They would see a lot of external, they would see a lot of people excited in worship, passionate in worship. But you know, none of those things prove the validity of our church as a gospel ministry. We can't point, I mean, think about this. There are arenas and auditoriums being filled for all kinds of counterfeit revivals, right? Charlatan preachers that are coming to get your money, like the crowds and the prosperity and the success doesn't mean that it's the Spirit of God at work in that place. He begins, the ground rule is, is Jesus Christ preached a true gospel ministry or a true gospel gift 
or manifestation of the Spirit will always be about King Jesus. Those are the ground rules. He goes on in verse 4. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are many different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. We're going to see this. If you read through this, you're going to see different gifts, different ministries, different activities contrasted by same Spirit, same Lord, same God. And then in verses 8 through 11, he does the same thing. To one person this, to another gets this gift, to another this, but it's the same Spirit, same Spirit, one Spirit. Here's what Paul is doing. He's giving us a contrast between the diversity that exists within the church all under the unity of Jesus Christ, uh, under God himself. And here's the point in verse four. Paul's saying in the church, we should have a ton of different gifts. The more the merrier. The more diverse the church is, the more beautiful the expression of God himself. Some of you might be thinking, you know, I'm not good at speaking. I hate it when we pray, have to pray out loud. I'm terrified by that. Or I, I never want to have to get up in front of people and speak and, and open the Bible and teach something. You know, it's like Seinfeld observed, um, you know, the thing that people are more afraid of than death is public speaking. So it's like someone would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, right? That might be you. You're like, I'm more afraid of speaking than death. I don't want anything to do with that. Well, you know what? Awesome. We can't have everybody be good at speaking. There's only one platform this morning and only one person can speak at, at, at a time in a large group, right? We need all kinds of different gifts. Some of you might even feel like, you know, Veritas, I don't know if I fit here. I don't know if I fit with all these people. Like, I'm pretty different from all the other people in the room. You know what I want to say to you? Awesome! That's the reason we need you to stay here. Because the fact that you're different and you have something else to offer adds to the beauty of our diversity. Now, here's the biggest difference between the church and the world. Our diversity does not divide us. It binds us together. But why? Because of verse 5. Because God works all of them. We serve the same God. It's, it's the one God that has empowered all these different gifts. So God has given you a special task to do. Why did he do this? Verse 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Why? For the common good. What is the common good? How do you explain that to somebody? What's the common good? Well, the common good means it's good for everybody. It's good for the common person. When it's a situation where everybody wins, right? Well, what's the opposite of the common good? What's the opposite of it being good for everybody? Well, it's good for me, one person. It's my good 
good for me. What Paul is addressing here is a problem in the Corinthian church. In the Corinthian church, there was an emphasis on certain public gifts. Likely, he's going to focus in as we get to chapter 14, he's going to give a a pretty strong corrective, specifically an instruction on the gift of prophecy and tongues. He's going to argue that uh, actually the the, the gifts that are intelligible, like you can understand what's happening, are actually better in the corporate gatherings than the ones that you can't understand are unintelligible. So he contrasts prophecy and tongues. Uh, we're going to get to that later. In chapter 13, he talks about if I speak in the tongues of angels, probably what's going on is in the gatherings, there are certain gifts that demonstrate like how spiritual a person is, right? So if someone stands up here and is really good at, at speaking or singing or, or praying or doing something like that, you might look at that person and say, wow, that person's really spiritual, right? Jesus warns us about this kind of stuff, right? Not standing up and, and showing our acts of righteousness in public. But in the Corinthian church, that was everybody wanted those gifts that would display how spiritual someone was. Okay, so... He addresses this and he's saying, hey, you guys all showing up and say, wow, Mark, you're spiritual. That's not the common good. The common good is when everybody has a gift and serves somebody around them. Okay, so why has God gifted you? Because there are people around you that need you. So here's the golden rule of spiritual gifts. Church is not about you. Church is not about you. Here's why I'm calling it the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others what you would want them to do for you. Well, the opposite of that is, hey, everyone, do unto me what I want done for me. That's not the common good that Paul's talking about. I want us to examine ourselves. Let's take it from Corinth to America, and let's think about Our way of doing this is a little more subtle than their way of doing this. Here's what I mean. What are Americans really good at? When you think about all the skills that we have, what's the one thing that you could say, man, this is something that pretty much every American is amazing at. This is our number one skill as a nation. You know what I think it is? shopping. Aren't we amazing at buying stuff? I mean, China, they love us, right? Making all our goods and like just shipping them over. And we're just like, yes, we love to buy stuff. We are like, I would say, like, I'm really good at it. And some of you are even better, right? At like online, like searching around, finding the perfect thing that we want. Like being super opinionated about the things that you buy is like one thing that you are probably really good at, right? So here's the thought. I'm a proud member of Costco. And here's the thing. As far as I'm concerned, Costco exists. Their mission is to meet all of my needs. And I love it because they've designed it just for me. They put everything that I might want like at eye level 
And so when I walk through, I'm like, dang, the electronics, TVs, right? I said, phones, I see all the stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to buy any of that now, but I just, it's here when I need it. So I keep walking and I get through all the stuff and I get to the groceries and they got all the cheeses that I want. They've got, and then I go through the clothes, like just in case I need any clothes, they're like, hey, we'll put the clothes here for Mark because, you know, he might, he might need some new slippers. He might need a new flannel, whatever. So I'm just walking through and I see a bunch of stuff that I'm like, wow, that's really good. Didn't even think of that one. I might need that. And then I get to all these other sections and like Costco exists to meet my needs. Therefore, I'm a proud member. But the day that Costco, that I walk down that aisle and I know where it is, and the day I walk down that aisle and I can't find my unsulfured, unsweetened dried mangoes, I'm out, okay? I'm out. And if there's another store that's got cheaper gas and cheaper groceries and cheaper whatever, like I'm no longer loyal because they exist to meet my needs. Okay, that's fine when it comes to you being a consumer in this world. But when you become a spiritual consumer of church, you will destroy the church. When you interact with Veritas like you interact with Costco, you will absolutely destroy this church. I do this all the time. Hey, someone says, hey, how was church? I'm like, ah, the sermon, it was a little long, a little off, a little, I could have used a little more of this and, you know, whatever, or the worship, how was it? Like, how was the volume? Did I like the song selection? And I treat the church service like I just went to a movie. Like, how was the movie? How was church? Like, I answer it the same way. Like, was I entertained? Did I like it? Did I laugh? All those things. I think this is a subtle way that verse 7 about the common good corrects us as Americans. Paul's saying, if you want to actually build the unity of the church, we cannot think like spiritual consumers. Here's another example of a subtle way that we treat church like consumers. I was talking to my friend. uh, We play basketball together. So this is actually like a year and a half ago. I was like, uh, man, I didn't know you go to church because we started talking about church. He's like, oh yeah. I was like, where do you go to church? He goes, I go to the World Church International. I was like, man, I've heard of a lot of churches in the area. I don't think I know where that is. He's like, oh no, it's on TV every week. Like I can just click the link if I miss it or whatever, or I can catch it live on this whatever channel. Here's my question to you. Like, how would you answer my friend that talks about this church that he is a part of and he just loves? Well, here's the problem. Like, what's the one thing that you need to live out, verse 7, the common good? God's gifted you the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, what's the one thing in addition to the Holy Spirit that you need in order to complete obedience to that verse? Uh, You need other people. You need other people. That's the danger of for my friend. Now, this is not a passive-aggressive comment to everyone watching online right now, right? Uh, I understand the times, right? COVID and all that. My point is, 
that if you're a part of Veritas, then you're going to need more than a link to click onto. Like, you're going to need the people of Veritas, right? And if you're watching online and you're in a different city or a different place, find a local group of people and be a part of that church. That's the calling, is not to be entertained and to spiritually consume goods and services that we provide. No, the point is, God has gifted you and he's given you a job to do. And as you do your job, it actually builds and binds the church together in unity. So the reason that we love it when you're here is that when you're not here, the issue is not that you missed church this morning. It's that the church missed you this morning. Verse 8, he continues. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. He's about to get into a list of a bunch of gifts. Now, the thing that we have to know about this list is it's not exhaustive. There are other places in the Scripture that list out gifts that are not mentioned here. Gifts of mercy, leadership, teaching. Peter has a list. Paul's another list in Romans 12. These are listed other places. It's not exhaustive. Paul's just giving us examples of some of the different kinds of gifts. So if you don't find your gifts in here, that, it's okay. This, that's not really the point of this list, but we will work through these quickly. He says, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. Okay, remember how wisdom is used in chapter 2? He says, Jesus Christ is the wisdom from God. We speak God's hidden wisdom, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The person with this gift of wisdom is able to kind of sort through really complex issues and help you get to King Jesus. Like they're always able to lead you to the cross in a really profound and cool way. They're just wise that way. They see how the gospel addresses your needs. He goes on to another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. This person with the message of knowledge have you ever been around one of these peoples that, people that when they read the Bible, they just seem to get stuff out of it. That you're like, you might be in a small group setting and I know the women's uh, study, you're going through Hebrews and this person is like, can you believe this Melchizedek thing? And you're like, what in the world? Melchizedek who? Like what? I don't get anything out of this. We're talking about the priesthood from like thousands of years ago. What is this? And they're like, oh yeah. And they're unpacking this amazing insight and you're like, I don't know if I can even be a Christian because I don't even understand the words they're saying. It's like we're staring at this rock wall and they're like, look at all the gold here. And you're like, all I see is a rock, okay? <laughs> like the person with knowledge just is able to draw out the truths of God in a, in a profound way and, and to teach and to speak it. Verse nine, to another, faith by the same spirit. Have you ever met someone with the gift of faith this is the person who thrives on uncertainty and chaos and problems. This person with the gift of faith, all they see when some people see problems, they see possibilities. They see opportunities. This is the person when, like imagine if you're in, in war and your platoon leader has the gift of faith, you'd be like, you're like, hey, hey, we're surrounded on all sides by the enemy. We're surrounded on the north, on the south, on the east, west. 
And the platoon leader looks at you and says, they'll never escape us now, right? That's the gift of faith, right? Like, oh yeah, this mountain that's in the way, God will just move that. Some of you guys have, have known these optimistic people with the gift of faith. To another, he says, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Wow, what is the gift of healing? Have you ever met someone with the gift of healing? I, and this is where it, some of you are like, ooh, this is gonna be interesting. I, I don't know, what's he gonna say about this? Well, here's what I'm gonna say about this. We live in a naturalistic culture. Do you know what naturalism means? Ism means like a belief in something. Well, our belief is in nature, naturalism. Like all there is, is the world that we can experience through our five senses. So in 18th century philosophy class, we studied empirical rationalism and the enlightenment thinkers. And I think our culture is greatly shaped by enlightenment thinking, like put it under the microscope and then I'll believe it, right? And I think we have a little bit of an enlightenment hangover, right? Because we live in a culture where it's like our natural disposition is that we don't believe in miracles. I was in Panama in the, jung- in the Darien jungle and the, the Embera people were afraid to go down to the river at night because of the river demons. Like in their culture, they just, they accept more supernatural things. And of course, as Americans, we were like, the river demons. So we'd go down to the river at night and uh, we stopped going down there when we saw snakes and bats and uh, scary animals. Okay, uh, but it wasn't the river demons we were afraid of, right? That's how we interact with the world differently. Like we are naturalistic people. And so we come to a gift like this and we're like, okay, knowledge, teaching, I get that, right? But miracles, what is that? So here's the thing. Maybe you're coming into this conversation on spiritual gifts a little hesitant about these real miraculous gifts. Or maybe you're someone who's like, man, I hope he preaches this. Like, go for it. Here's what I'm saying. Okay, wherever you're at on this spectrum as we go through this, The application is kind of the same for both people. It kind of doesn't matter where you're at. And here's what I mean. Like all of us in this room that follow Jesus believe God can do miracles, right? So when we encounter an impossible situation, what should we all do? We should all just pray for God to do something, right? So the application, whether or not you, I don't know about this gift, if it's real or yes, I think I have this gift. Like the application is, is the same either way. Let's pray and see what God does. And that leads into verse 10. He says, to another, the performing of miracles. Okay, healings, miracles. Now this, I'm just gonna call it the supernatural junk drawer. This is the person that's just, they are always seeing God do stuff. Have you ever been around this kind of person? You're like, What? It seems like God is always doing crazy stuff around you. Why doesn't that stuff happen to me? Like it seems like every day you're seeing God do something supernatural and amazing. I never see that kind of stuff. I think that's this kind of person. Now, I want to tell you a story that happened to me this week to encourage you in this. So my dear friend, Les Moore, is in the hospital he, he's in his 60s. Um, he's in the hospital with COVID-related pneumonia. 
So he helped plant, he and his wife, Terry, helped plant Veritas Church, Cedar Rapids. So when I heard that he was in the hospital, I really wanted to go visit. So I went to the ICU floor. Uh, It's kind of a miracle that I got in because they didn't want to let me in. But I'm like, hey, whatever. God just worked it out. Long story. (laughs) I'm going to get in and I'm going to pray for my friend Les. So they let me go in there. Les was probably struggling for breath and moments away from a ventilator. And and I said, Les, what do you want Jesus to do for you? He said, I just want to know that Jesus is with me. Is that okay? And I was like, Les, that's great. Let's ask Jesus to do that right now. So I put my hand on him and we prayed. It wasn't an amazing prayer and I didn't feel anything amazing happen. But I walked out of the room and I didn't hear anything. So a week later, actually a couple days ago, I, I called him and just said, hey, Les, I wanted to just hear how you're doing. Can I come visit again sometime? And he said, I've been wanting to call you, but I've been too emotional to tell you this story. But he said, the moment that you walked out of the room, Jesus came and sat down on my bed with me. He goes, I can't tell you like what he looked like or I don't know, did I see him? He goes, I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ sat down in my bed with me and I have never experienced the kind of peace that I experienced in that moment. And he went on to tell me, he said, my whole life I have struggled with severe anxiety, depression, and I have never felt what I felt. And he goes, and it hasn't left the whole time I've been here since you left. And he said, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I would not trade this for anything. And I said, I made some comment. I said, Les, isn't it cool that God is with us? He said, no. Jesus was with me. It's almost like the cliche was not enough to capture what he had experienced. He said, Mark, it was personal. Yeah, I know Jesus is always with me, but I have never experienced this personal presence of Jesus. And he goes, I wanted him and his presence more than I wanted healing. Pretty cool that they were about to give him some, I don't know, platelets or something they were going to give him because he was in such dire straits. And, and after we prayed, uh, I guess the next day, a doctor came in and basically, as they, right as they were about to give him the platelets, he said, no, do not do it. His body's having a reaction to something that we're giving him. And they ended up finding what was actually making him worse that they were giving him. And it's like he's gotten out of ICU. He got to walk for the first time. 
And here's the point of what I'm telling you. I don't know if I have the gift of healing or miracles. I have prayed hundreds and thousands of times for people to be healed. Most of the time, nothing amazing happens that I know of. And if I pray a thousand times for someone to be healed and nothing happens, I'm going to pray again because you never know. How would you know if you had this gift? I don't know. Just start praying for people. Just start asking God to do stuff and see what happens. And so I got the courage. Yesterday, I was helping my neighbor get some, uh, some lint or whatever out of, his, out of his vent. It was all plugged up, the dryer vent. And, and so I'm pulling the stuff out. And he started telling me he had this traumatic injury. And he's had chronic head pain that's just like a knife in his head. And every day he struggles and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? Do you believe in Jesus? I said, oh, yeah. And I said, have you ever had someone pray for you? So I just let, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah. And he started tearing up as he shared his story. Laid hands on him, prayed for him. I don't know. I'm going to text him this morning and see what happened. But I've got a lot of courage right now. As far as I'm concerned, I'm one for one. So let's keep the streak alive. I don't know. Uh, the point here is, I don't know what your gift is. But you just got to step out and do something. See what God's going to do. What's the worst that can happen? I don't know. To another prophecy. Now, this gift is not like teaching where it's all planned and scripted. It's like, no, the prophetic gift is more of a in the moment, spontaneous word of encouragement. We'll get more to that later. To another distinguishing between spirits. This person can kind of see uh, counterfeit. They can spot counterfeit and they can see false teaching like, ah, something's not right about this person or that teaching or whatever. This person, like 1 John 4, we talked about testing the spirits. Remember outside this summer, test the spirits. This person is, is gifted with this. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Um, this is going to be me kicking the can down the road for Brian Dermody. He's going to solve all the tongues questions and Jeff's going to be teaching. They're going to do a great job but not for this week. Uh, verse 11, here's where it lands. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person, now listen to this, as he wills. You don't go through the grocery store of spiritual gifts and decide which gifts you're gonna have. Oh no, when you become a Christian, Jesus Christ gives you something. He hands you a gift and you know what is so freeing about that? This is what's beautiful. It's so freeing to receive the gift that God wills because it frees you from insecurity, that thought that says, well, I don't have much to offer. When you say that, you're belittling Jesus because he gave you the gift, right? If your gift is making food for people and dropping it off on the front doorstep, you have that gift. You see needs, you meet it. If you have the gift of serving behind the scenes in ways that no one will ever see it, that is from the Lord. It's amazing. You don't need to compare with other people. It just frees you to enjoy the special job God has given you to do. It also frees us from spiritual pride because we recognize spiritual pride says everybody should be doing what I'm doing, right? I mean, foster care, like why isn't your house filled with foster kids? Hospitality, why don't you host more people? Evangelism, why are you not sharing the gospel? You might even hear the story about me and my neighbor and think, 
Uh, look around, why aren't you praying over your neighbor or whatever? Well, you know what? You're not called to have every spiritual gift. And it actually frees us from spiritual pride, expecting other people to be doing what we're doing. We say, no, we're all doing different things. It's beautiful. It also, this statement, he gives it to each person as he wills. It frees us from being overwhelmed by this sermon. You might be thinking, it's all on me. It's all on me. I've got to do everything. I've got to host the connection group, lead the connection group, get the snacks ready, encourage the people, make sure this person's okay and what they shared and follow up with this prayer request and this person has a need and I've got to meet all the needs. No, what you need to do is find out the stuff that wears you out and stop doing it. And what you're going to find is, oh, that's not selfishness. That's just remembering that God is God and you're not. And that sometimes when you step out of the way, it creates an opportunity for someone else to use their gifts. And you'll begin to realize maybe the less you do, the more will get done as God's people come together to serve, which leads to my last point to make a long sermon longer. Some of you might be wondering, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I thought you were going to tell me. Oh no, this is where the last point and my commitment to alliteration comes in. Here's the last rule. It's called the go bring it rule. We've got the ground rules, the golden rules, and the last one, the go bring it rule. And you've heard us say this all the time. If you want it to be there, you got to bring it. How do you find your spiritual gift? You show up. That's how you find it. You just show up and you just bring it, right? This thing happened last week. Dale came to our elder meeting. He's like, the coolest thing happened in group last night. That's someone in our group that just was really struggling. And they shared their story. And this young woman stepped in and said, can we just lay hands on you? We got together. We laid hands on this person. We prayed. And it's like the power of the spirit was unleashed. You know what happened? It just happened because some people just showed up, right? And we're not going to start a laying on the hands of ministry program for all the people with that gift. No, we're just going to do connection groups. We're going to do relationships. And as you interact with other people, God is going to show you opportunities to serve. And the guy that was prayed for, he told me, he said, she will never know how much that meant to me. It happened as a bunch of people showed up and just brought it. Okay, God has wired you to be a part of his family. He's given you a task to do. Are you a part of the family of God? If not, I want to invite you to say, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my Lord. I want to serve you. I want to do something meaningful for other people, not just myself. Let's pray together as we close. Jesus, thank you that you have adopted us into your family. Thank you that you have called us, you have loved us, and you have gifted us. Show us how we can serve the people around us this week. Show us what you've given us to do. Give us the courage to step out in faith, to not just be consumers, but to be contributors to your family. In Jesus' name, amen.